Hello and welcome. The vicious cycle starts all over again. Vicious no! Says you. I'm Bartleby Nehi, and I'm here with my brother Artemis. I'm not so sure I want to be here. We're the Kinetic Paranormal Society, a pair of socks and a magic wardrobe, traveling through time and space, investigating the supernatural. This is all wearing so thin on me. You're listening to Metacosmos. Bartleby, please tell me we're going to be doing the Frankenstein podcast this week. This is ridiculous. I don't like having to wait. Well, okay, first, I think you already know that I just barely reserved the library book with the Libby app, so it's going to be some time. You just barely reserved it now? I just got to it. So, there you go, Artemis. We're going to be doing our Frankenstein podcast, and it should be working out fine unless, like, the book doesn't show up or I forget to read, and you know I'm going to be doing that for at least a few weeks. The book will be due in a few weeks. You can't just forget the whole time. Well, I guess I'll just have to renew it and get back on the waiting list, and eventually we'll get to it and have the Frankenstein episode. It's simple. But I wanted to do a whole series of episodes, one for each chapter. No, we'll just do it in one episode. Get it out of the way. That's not the plan. The plan is still forming. I can't believe it. Well, you should believe it by now. Come on, Artemis. This is like a running gag at this point. Fine, I guess. I believe it. What torture are you going to put me through today, Bartleby? What is this week's topic you must drag me through? Oh, Artemis, you're going to love this. I think we should do an examination of art history. Specifically, how we got from modernism to postmodernism to what comes after postmodernism. Because that's basically like after the present, but there's still a future. So we gotta map it out for listeners where we are in the history of conscientiousness and souls through examining art history. In a single episode. Yeah, yeah, I think we can do it, yeah. That's exactly what we're gonna do. I didn't see this on the calendar. Why is this coming up? You say we're allowed to change the calendar as long as it's spontaneous. And here you are saying this is on the calendar the whole time? It's on the secret calendar. Secret calendar? Let's not worry about that. Let's just focus because you're the one that's always like, snooty, snooty, I'm such an academic. I know so much about everything and all this stuff. So I was thinking this would be a good moment for you to take the floor and give everybody a not-too-boring examination of the history of art and, like, humans. Just real quick. What? Real quick? Yeah, just, like, run through and give us a sense of, like, the whole history of art. Like, all of humanity till now. Just really fast, though. We have to run through this, and we want to get to modernism and postmodernism. So bring everyone up to date, because you're the smarty smarty. Come on. No, that's not how it works. Though perhaps we could look at a history of art history. The what now? Yes, you see, art history in its current progression is a series of thoughts built off of one another. For several centuries now, not that long. Probably maybe a little over 500 years. Really? I don't believe you. Well, Giorgio Fasari, he wrote about the artists and how he saw it was there was a progression from artist to artist, where each artist was giving a greater sense of how to see the world and perceive it for what it actually was. For at one point, people didn't quite know how to draw natural posture. And if you look at ancient Egyptian sculptures, they stand rather rigid. And then when we look at the Greek sculptures, just hundreds of years later, we can see that the Greek sculptures stand with something of a, a contrapposto. 
That's a funny word. Yes, the contrapposto is when one leg is slightly bent and then the hips are uneven so that one side drops lower than the other and then the shoulders are counter-tilted and this is a very natural way to stand and it had never been properly depicted or seen by the artists prior to the Greek sculptors depicting it. Huh, is that how that works? I don't know. Well, Vasari was able to observe that there was a lineage in which greater ideas of understanding how to depict the real world were increasing with each generation of artists, so that ideas like linear perspective and atmospheric perspective, and as Vasari saw it, all of this was building towards a progression from artist to artist toward realism. I told you not to make this boring. This is not boring, for you see, this torch was picked up by George Willem Friedrich Hegel. Hegel? Yes. Hegel lived from the late 1700s into the early 1800s, and he was thought by many to be the father of art history. Oh, why is that? Because he saw, rather than it being a one-to-one progression from artist to artist, that there was a conversation happening in society as a whole, including in the arts. He called it a dialectic. Oh, sounds fancy. Yes, you see, the dialectic is a process from which there's a thesis proposed, the thesis is then countered with an antithesis, and then finally another generation takes the two ideas, puts them together into a synthesis. And in Hegel's mind, all of this synthesis was building to romanticism. Ew, is that like something about roses? No, no. But like Valentine's Day? No, romanticism. Romanticism is a sense of capturing the feeling and the emotion behind a moment. So essentially, the romanticist painters were capturing a realistic depiction of reality, but they were then layering into it all of the emotion and feeling that the moment is remembered for. And to Hegel, this was the peak that art would ever reach. He said, and I quote, The conditions of our present time are not favorable to art. Art considered in its highest vocation, is and remains for us a thing of the past. I thought you said you didn't have time to get notes together. Well, I just happened to know that quote. Okay. So Hegel thought that, like, art had ended and peaked with romanticism? Yes. He couldn't imagine it going any further. Ironic that the first camera technology was already starting in the early 1800s before his death, but it really took off after he passed away. What's that mean? Well, once there was a tool for capturing reality exactly as it was, such as cameras do... Well, they were a little grainy at first. Yes, but they were improving, and they captured reality so realistically, even in that grainy sense, that artists no longer saw it as their goal to capture reality in a visually realistic manner. What's that mean? Well, this gave artists the freedom to try to paint just an impression of what they saw. Oh, impressionism! Yes. The fuzzy, fuzzy brushstrokes. Indeed. Wait, but wasn't that just because, like, Monet had really bad vision and for him that was realism? Well, maybe, but by offering people to see things through his eyes, reality became softer and we get to fill in the details for ourselves. And somehow in that way the paintings become more personal to experience. Oh. Another variation on depicting reality as it was was Favism. Ew, is that like the bean? No, no. That was when artists would 
paint the thing, but maybe change the colors, or make the textures start to change throughout, or maybe not quite get the realism in the background, but do the foreground or whatnot. Ooh, sounds folky. Indeed. But from there, artists were evolving on these variations of how they could play with the depiction of reality. And it grew into cubism, where surfaces are explored at different angles, but not quite how they are, but how they feel. And surrealism. Is that like slurry realism? No, it's more like a dream state, where realistic images behave in unrealistic ways. Oh, yeah, of course. Salvador Dali would find ways of capturing this state by taking naps in the middle of his day, in which he would sit in a chair, and he would hold something in his hand, for instance, a key, and he would have a metal platter set next to him on the floor. The idea was, just as he fell off into sleep, the key would slip from his hand and clatter on the platter, clatter on the platter, and the sound would wake Salvador Dali up, and he would spring forth, sketching whatever it was that his mind had last been drifting off to. And to think that Hegel missed all of this, thinking that art peaked with romanticism. Yes, it is quite ironic. To tell us what happened next. Well, during this time in which artists were exploring many variations of what it was to be an artist, a new mind rose up in the field of art history, following in the footsteps of Hegel. Who is that? Clement Greenberg, considered one of the most respected art theorists of the early 1900s. For he saw that all of the progression, from Romanticism to Impressionism, Fauvism, Cubism, Surrealism, so forth, it was all a natural progression, cumulating to Modernism. Oh boy, here we go. And Modernism, as Greenberg thought of it, was a purity of the medium. So that the painters of the time were not painting a subject anymore, they were painting the paint itself. They were an expression of the existence of paint, and the existence of the canvas and the stretcher boards, and that the very subject of art was art itself in its pure form. Yeah, because modernism is a sense of what something quintessentially is in its purest, most basic, most awesomest sense, at least according to the modernists. Indeed, yes. Okay, but in its most pure form in painting, it's like splashing paint on the canvas, like Jackson Pollock? Yes, indeed. Or Mark Rothko with his broad swashes of colors. Yeah, but there's like other mediums, and they have their own modernist versions, like the Eiffel Tower for architecture. Yes, some consider it to be the beginning of modernism in architecture, taking just the pure, raw beams of steel and forming them into a tower. Yeah, and just look at skyscrapers. Indeed. The simplification of just stacking structures upward with metal and concrete and glass. A perfect example. And then my clothes. Oh, yes. The clothing of the Romanticist era was quite elaborate. And yet fashion itself moved towards its own simplification. Like the three-piece suit and tie. Or the two-piece suit. Or the one-piece suit. Stop it, you're not making sense. No, but I mean, like, the t-shirt is, like, the ultimate simplification of clothing. It's just like a fabric bag with four holes. One for your head, and one for your body, and one for each arm. Yeah, so there's, like, lots of examples of, like, things being super modern. Oh, and, like, fonts. You got your serif fonts, like Times New Roman and Georgia, and they got their little hats and boots on. And then you got the streamlined, simple Helveticas. Hey, I'm Ariel. What is up? And those fonts are like 
basically the simplest font a font can be to get the job done. Modernist. Exactly. And Greenberg believed that it was the culmination of humanity. Modernism. Oh, man. This sounds like it's going to be ironic, too. Indeed. For Greenberg positioned himself as a power broker in the arts. He believed that he was the one who saw the progression of modernism and therefore was the one who could say who was doing it and who wasn't and whose career was going somewhere and who just didn't understand the progression of humanity. And he couldn't have been more wrong. Tell him about the postmodernism, Artemis. Well, Greenberg had not realized that the push towards modernism was going to be pushed further still. That's right, yeah, 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 in the postmodernism. Yes. Just when Greenberg thought he was the one who decided what was relevant in the arts, it was he who lost relevance. When did that happen? Some say it was in 1964. Oh. Why do they say that? Because that's when Andy Warhol created his Brillo boxes. They were a series of wooden boxes made to look just like cardboard boxes of detergent soap sold at a grocery store. Warhol then had the boxes stacked in the gallery in much the same way you might find them stacked at a grocery store when put on sale in a display. Didn't Warhol, like, begin his career, like, decorating windows for grocery stores? Oh, yes. It's funny you should mention that. Yeah, so we kind of had some experience with that. Indeed. But by bringing that same energy into the gallery space, the art historian and theorist Arthur Danto saw it and declared then that art was dead. Art was dead again? So he agrees with Greenberg? Oh, no, no. Danto used Hegel's dialectic to explain that where art had been culminating into a thesis of realism, it was then responded to by the antithesis of modernism, and that he believed he was coming forth presenting the synthesis of postmodernism. And what exactly does Danto say postmodernism is? Well, he believed that it was all culminating into pure concept, pure theory. It wasn't about what the Brillo boxes were. It was about what they induced in the minds of the viewers. And that every single body was going to then experience that art in their own mind and be creating their own meaning through the experience. And that it was no longer about the art itself. It was about that experience to the viewer. And this gives birth to concepts like multiplicity. Oh, I love multiplicity. Yes, that's when we realize that every single object looks different through the facet of every single person that looks at it. So it was that Arthur Danto believed that Andy Warhol's Brillo boxes advented the age of postmodernism and that from thenceforth, Art was not about the substance of the art, even the paint, the canvas. You needed none of that. It was all in concept. But hold on. I feel like we're just, like, missing a huge part of art history here. It kind of, like, reminds me of, like, Hegel not knowing about the camera. Because that was happening before he died, and it totally changed art before he was gone. And is Arthur Danto, like, totally forgetting about, like, the Dadaists? And what about, like, Duchamp and Magritte? What about them? Well, like, the Dadaists were trying to do, like, shocking performances that made you reconsider what art and performance were. Like the dude who went on stage for, like, a poetry reading and was like, poop, 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 poop. Or, but he wasn't saying poop, he was saying another word for poop. And, 
it like made everybody in the audience go nuts because he wouldn't stop saying poop. You like broke their minds. Such vulgar art, Bartleby. Well, yeah, but that was like the whole point because he was saying that all of institutionalized art was a bunch of poop. Is that what he was saying? Yeah, and like Duchamp, when he was like, hey, I'm going to take this journal and I'm going to turn it on its side and I'm going to write the name of some made up artist that's not even me signing the art. And so it's like a joke about like people who just turn anything into art. And I'm one of those people and I'm not even signing my name to it. And oh, here's a postcard of the Mona Lisa. I'm going to draw a mustache on it. And now it's art. Because what is art? And he was kind of mocking, like, all of the art historians and gallery people and being like, oh, look at this, you're all so stupid. Oh, look at this, poop, poop, poop. And Magritte. You're just going to pile Magritte into this? His paintings were rather traditional. Yeah, except for when he, like, painted a pipe and wrote, this is not a pipe. But what was it? Was it really a pipe? No, it was a painting of a pipe. But what is it if it's not a pipe? Because it's just a painting of a pipe. And then that's like when it's deconstructing what your brain thinks an idea is. And then pretty soon you're deconstructing your own ego and your sense of self. And what is the world? And how did I come to perceive the world this way when really the world in front of me simply is what it is? And so all of this, I think personally, I think this is an amazing thing. And this is why modernism and postmodernism is such a cool thing to find because it can offer you the tools to deconstruct yourself, like multiplicity. Indeed. We all need to be able to look at ourselves if we're going to improve upon ourselves. And if we cannot even look at art and see it for what it is, how are we going to look at ourselves and see who we really are? Exactly. But you know something, Artemis. What's that? All of this, like, oh, this is just the natural progression of where art is going and that we're all getting there and this is all how it is. All of that stuff that, like, Hegel and Greenberg and Dante were talking about was really, like, oh, we're just progressing to this greatness that's the best greatness ever. All of that's really kind of a, like, Western culture manifest destiny stuff. How do you mean? Okay, well... These aren't new ideas. They've been around for a very, very long time. Like, in Eastern philosophy, like Buddhism and Taoism, those were in themselves their own creations of modernism then being deconstructed on themselves. And they went on to practically become, like, institutionalized versions of modernism that then explores postmodernism internally. Are you sure that's what they do? Well, you know, like Mahayana and like the cycle of samsara and the illusion of reality like Maya and Lila. And that's just appreciating life. Oh, that's there to like deconstruct you. And the only reason why we're even discussing this in context of Western modern art is because of the Western cultural hegemony that spread through industrialization. True, though I think there's still something of a dialectic cultural exchange from the West to the East back and forth from each other. And we can see this, for instance, in the Japanese anime and manga and the Korean pop music scene, as well as its b-boy dance culture. And that dialectic continues to this day, as Western culture is in turn influenced by the East and back and forth and back and forth and so forth. Holy, and that's exactly why Danto didn't even realize that he was going to be eating his words just like Greenberg before him and Hegel before him and so forth. How so? Well, because, like, Dante was like, oh, look, it's the end of art. Art is dead. It's just pure concept now. 
pure theory, and I'm an art theorist, so aren't I pretty cool, snooty snooty? Reminds you of anyone, Artemis? What? What are you trying to say? Well, I'm just saying that just as Dante was saying it was the death of art, it was really the death of art history and theory being relevant. I take that as an insult. And maybe you should. Or you can use it as an opportunity to do a little postmodern deconstruction on yourself, Artemis. And how's that? Well, the end of art theory is a good thing because art is a magical experience in which a message is transcended from an interdimensional being that is then received from an artist and then given to their community as a tool to heal ourselves from our psychic wounds and our experiences. And it used to be that, like, some artists would then experience this within a little tiny group of their community and that the art was really relevant to the community and it would be, like, some sort of ceremony that would heal and we would all get better from our emotional wounds together through acknowledging them through the artistic process that, in the end, is meant to get us closer to ourselves and to our deeper sense of meaning and why we're here in the world and our connection to God. And that's what art's really for. So good riddance to art theory. Oh, Bartleby, I think you've come back round to romanticism. Yeah, I think you're right, because that is a rather idealized version of what I want it to be. But the reality is, is that the masses have pretty much thrown out art theory, and they think it's stupid, and they just pretty much want to have a fun movie and a cool song that makes them move and feel some feelings. Especially songs about love. Yes, though it should be a warning to us that Greenberg suggested that the expression of realism after the 1900s was simply kitsch. Okay, what's wrong with kitsch? Well, Greenberg suggested that kitsch would be used by propagandists like Nazis to manipulate the masses. Ooh. So all the realism post-1900 is a bunch of propaganda kitsch? That's what Greenberg suggested. Well, thankfully, due to multiplicity, the propaganda will not be interpreted by everybody the same and won't have the intended effects of control. But modernism and postmodernism are actually having a conversation in the collective pop culture masses that everyone's feeling together. So it's totally fine. It's okay. How do you see that? Well, for instance, like Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. How do they relate to this? Well, Mickey Mouse is kind of like the distillation of cartoon protagonist. He's not really mean, and he's kind of nice, and he doesn't have a lot of flavor to him, so you can put him in a lot of adventures, and he has a high, broad appeal to most everybody in the time that he was mostly popular. He's kind of died back in popularity since then. But that's because he couldn't keep up with the postmodernism of Bugs Bunny. That Bugs Bunny was like re- Forming himself in every moment. In one moment, he's a Viking. In another moment, he's like a damsel in distress. And in another moment, he's back to being Groucho Marx. And that was postmodernism. Remixing and reinventing. Does Bugs Bunny really go beyond medium to the realm of concept alone? The dude painted a tunnel on a wall and ran down that tunnel to escape an assailant. If that's not postmodernism, I don't know what is. Hmm, yes. And then you got Superman. And what does Superman have to do with this? Superman is like the highest embodiment of modernism in all of its forms because he is both like 
the most simplified version of being a superhero, but he's got a moral kind of modernism where it's just simply what is good and what is right. And it's just right there in front of you. And it's golly gee whiz cool. And it's, it's right there and he's living it with his underwear on the outside because underwear in that form is so modernist and it shows you those modern lines of the human body. And his color palette is an arrangement of just the primary colors. Yeah. But where does postmodernism fit into all of this? Batman. Because, like, when you're a little kid, you believe in the Mickey Mouses and the Supermans of the world. But then you get a little older and you're like, huh, is that underwear on the outside of his clothes stupid? And wow, maybe the dark hero is actually the cool one. And so you go through this rebel rebel phase in which you're like, no, man. I'm not believing in the establishment of modernism. What I'm all about is reinventing myself through postmodernism. And Batman can be like anything from like dark and broody to like, hey chum, wham, boom, kapow. And that's like the postmodernism inside of us. The way that we can just see Batman in so many different ways. But when you change Superman, if you make Superman evil or you make Superman anything but that pure, awesome, basically best thing ever in its modernist, simplistic self, people are like, that's not Superman. That's some postmodernist remix. And Batman already is a postmodernist remix of Superman, so we don't need that. Bartleby, where are you going with this? Well, I'm just saying that this is what modernism and postmodernism looks like in the hearts of the masses. This is, in the dialectic of modernism, postmodernism, this is the space that's occurring in the synthesis after the two. Interesting proposal. Oh, you want interesting proposals? Check this out. All of these guys like Hegel and Greenberg and Danto, they keep trying to, like, predict the end of art. But I have a mathematical equation that we can actually find the precise time in which art ends. Oh, do you? Yes, because Sam McQueen, he posted on Twitter, and here, let me read his tweet. He says, the first Batman film was in 1966. And the first reboot was in 1989. The second reboot in 2005. The third in 2016. And the fourth in 2022. Which, given sufficient extrapolation, suggests that by 2050 or so, there'll be a new Batman reboot every 15 microseconds. I don't think that math checks out. But do you understand what that means, Artemis? When we get to the point that Batman films are rebooting faster than one a second? Well, by then, whatever art era movement we're in right now, well, it's over. And we can predict that mathematically. Are you suggesting at that point the Batman movies are being rebooted by AI? Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Like, how could people reboot Batman every 15 microseconds? That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would be the time in which the AI are making the art and all of the Batman movies by 2050. Oh, wait. If by 2050, Batman movies are being rebooted every 15 microseconds, then the AI have been probably been making all the art and all the Batman movies for a while by then. So the end of art will probably happen, like, way before 2050. It might even happen by tomorrow. Oh, this is depressing me. Can we take a step back? Yeah, sure. Listeners are probably wondering, what is the name of the era that we are currently in? This era happening 
after postmodernism and apparently coming to an end with AI, we should probably tell them what comes after postmodernism. Oh, yeah, a lot of people call that metamodernism. Indeed. And let's elaborate for listeners what metamodernism looks like in practice. Well, metamodernism can be all kinds of things, but when it comes down to it, basically, in the face of meaninglessness, we have to create our own meaning in our lives. Isn't that basically what Nietzsche was talking about? Yeah, but that's a whole nother can of worms. Let's save it for the nihilism episode. Agreed. But yeah, metamodern art is about creating experiences that give our lives more meaning. Like community building. So examples of metamodern art might include, I don't know, stuff like scavenger hunts that strengthen social bonds. Or bicycle-powered sculpture races. Or creating fan fiction around corporate-controlled stories and just giving it away. Or making friends with sentient socks. There are all kinds of examples. That's why Metacosmos is the best show ever. Uh, hard to disagree. But that's beside the point, because I prefer, rather than using the term metamodernism, it's to take the ideas of self-deconstruction that come from postmodernism and use them to put ourselves back together in what I like to call post-deconstruction, in which we like, rather than taking apart every single idea, and like, if you take apart every single clock in the world, you're not going to know what time it is, and you need to take apart some clock so you can teach a younger generation how to build a clock. But really, at the end of the day, what the day ending is, is the sun setting and the sun rising. And so there's a planet spinning around a sun while rotating. And that orbit and that rotation make a year and a day and becomes all of the different experiences of time that are not an illusion, though the postmodernist view would say, oh, it's all an illusion and deconstruct it. Some things are pretty real and solid and right there, like days and nights and the seasons as the earth tilts. And so it's kind of like the post-deconstruction might be a form of neo-paganism. I think that might be taking it a little too far. Okay, fine. Maybe yes. But in the end, I don't think it'll matter if we go past the age of whatever you want to call this metamodernist, post-deconstructionist, metacosmos age that you think we might be living in. It doesn't matter what the AI do with it, because we are going to live here in the present, regardless of where their AI go and make all their Batman movies for the end of time, that we don't have time to watch, Artemis. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be too many Batman films to care about all the Batman films. And that's just perfect, because all of these experiences, the art experiences, and even the experiences that we don't call art, that's a living process we experience as a soul, where we come to this world to find ourselves. And I think we can get a lot of help in finding ourselves from Superman and Batman. And why is that? Because, Artemis, Superman and Batman are best friends. That's right. Modernism and postmodernism, they love each other. They're in a friendship that is about helping each other grow to be their best self. And that we constantly are resetting through the simplification of what the pure form is and what that means in deconstructing who we are. And that's an internal process that you don't go to one or the other. You go in between, like Buddha's middle path. Did you ever think about that, Artemis? I don't think I have. And that's why we really should be naming this art era we're in right now the Metacosmos Age. You're absurd. 
Yeah. We haven't even touched absurdism. But maybe we'll have to do that in another episode. Indeed. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm Artemis Nehigh. And I'm Bartleby Nehigh. And you are the most beautiful people in the entire universe. Because not only do you have like a good heart, but you've got a sharp mind and a good sense of humor. And really, 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 that's honestly, when you start combining all that, you're so beautiful that I'm kind of blushing just imagining that you're listening to me. Wow. So thanks a lot. And thanks for sharing this show and going out and reviewing it because it's so easy to review the show or at least rate it. It's so easy and I'm so happy that you're doing it. Winky, winky. I don't think they can see you wink in the audio. That's why it says winky, winky. So, yeah. Another way that you can show support for Metacosmos is by going to patreon.com slash bluefoot. Isaac Bluefoot is our producer. He makes our website, and he produces a bunch of podcasts for us, and they're all awesome, and you can find them by looking up Kinetic Paranormal Society wherever you listen to podcasts. Isaac also produces his own podcast, Superman, Son of Al, the unauthorized biography of Clark Kent. Look up Superman, Son of Al where you listen to podcasts, and you're just going to love it. Additional support for Metacosmos comes from Humboldt Hot Air, humboldthotair.org where you can listen to streaming and music directly from Humboldt County. My favorite county. So yeah, you guys are great. I hope you're having fun out there. And see you next week. Bye-bye. I love you. Bartleby, my head is spinning. I think this episode was a bit too much. Well, you know what they say. If you're studying modern art history and you think you know what's going on, you're doing it wrong.